Hello, Blenders, and welcome to episode number 44 of Real Blend, a podcast that isn't going to get over to the loss of Stan Lee anytime soon. I know, I know, I had to go melancholic for it, but almost to sort of set up the fact that we're going to be talking about Stan in a little bit. Um, Sometimes we get really excited when big news breaks and we're able to sort of cover it. Uh, This is not the type of news that we wanted to to be covering, even though Stan was 95. I think we were all sort of anticipating the fact that this was coming. This one still hurts a little bit. But first, introductions. My name is Sean O'Connell. I am the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and we have so much to get to this week as we fast approach episode number 50. If you're watching us on the Facebook Live, hello, welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you guys here. If you're downloading us on all the different podcast apps later on, uh, you already know what to expect because I have my two favorite colleagues here in real blendingness. Joining me as always, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, hello. Hello, your two favorite colleagues, but you're working with myself, Kevin McCarthy, and producer Gabe right now, so who didn't make the cut? No, Gabe's not my favorite. He knows this. <laughs> Gabe goes to the bottom of my list because of Hill House, and he knows why. And we'll keep this inner circle. Wait, but, uh, wait what happened with Hill House? Oh, you were away. You, were, you weren't here. Yeah, you missed a whole thing. You missed a whole thing. Oh. Well, that's, okay. that's, that is also Kevin McCarthy of, of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, hello. How are you, sir? Hi, Sean, I just saw you uh, two days ago. We had to discuss our event later on. We will. We will get into the fact that we're able to see one of the most amazing films of the year that Jake hates. Um, but, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. We are not doing this. We are we not. tell I the refuse. elevator story. I will too. not participate in this podcast the if we do this. The elevator story is fantastic. <laughs> and Kevin has to lay in just... all the details. Um, but first, reviews. And so we got uh, chastised. So we're on our way to, to uh, 100 star ratings. And as many reviews as you guys feel like posting, because we love the reviews, obviously, we're at 65 star ratings, uh, grinding to a halt, but that's okay. Uh, we're going <laughs> to power through. <laughs> we're going to get to 100 eventually. Uh, we love the fact that everybody's sort of contributing to that, and we have two new reviews to read this time. I skipped this one the last time uh, because it's by a guy who follows us on social media. Also, if you want to follow us at, at @realblend, you can do that too. We love to interact with you guys on the Twitter feed. This is at DC Sports Mark. Um, we have a lot of fans who listen to us from DC, obviously from Chicago, also. Uh, and this is a Junkies fan who, and the reason I skipped this one, Kevin, is because he uh, he he questions it CC time with a question oh, yeah. mark, <laughs> yeah. and then he just says. Papa, like Papa, like Uh, over and over again. Papa, 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 Papa. I don't really know how to read that necessarily. And then I give context what that means real fast. Well, he told me on Twitter it's a good bit. He said it's a good bit, and that Kevin would appreciate it. So yeah, fill us in. What's the bit? Yeah, I mean, just the when I first started off uh, doing what I do now, it was on a radio show called The Sports Junkies here in Washington D.C., and they're the ones who gave me my first start. Uh, to be reviewing films on on any type of broadcast. Wait, can I pause you for one second there? Because I went down a YouTube hole recently watching you do your appearances on the Sports Junkies. It's very antagonistic. Like, yeah. like you find, Oh, yeah, yeah. You sound like you're defending movies often to them, and it's hostile. Yeah. Is that yeah, the Yeah, no, no. Well, it, it was like a sports – it's a sports show, so like the fact that a movie reviewer was on there was kind of uh, – I was on there kind of like a, as a sidekick joking around, but the – the uh, I was doing a radio show at George Mason University. That was like my first on-air thing. But actually, being on an actual FM airwave was their show. The Papa thing is because one of the junkies' his name is Lurch. They call him Lurch Papa. So that that became like a recurring bit I would do when I would go on the air. I would just say his name repeatedly 
in an annoying way to joke with him. So that's that. And then the other thing, CC time, that, that's because there was a producer there who was actually at my wedding. His name is Chris Kiner, my, one of my best friends. Uh, and I don't know how his nickname became, became that, but that, that's what he's referring to. Gotcha. All right. Well, he says, um, love the show, guys. Keep up the good work. Man, just basically threw out that, the, that reference. So I wanted to get that in. Uh, Diabetes Mom. Diabetes Mom in NC. I believe I know who this is. I think this is someone from Charlotte, who's a friend of mine, who says, great fun reviews and movie talk. If you love arguing with friends, this show is for you, along with getting insider information from these passionate hosts who are in humble acknowledgement that they have dream jobs. You will just have fun listening to them go back and forth on past and present films. Good fun stuff with an exclamation point. So thank you for oh, those nice. two thank new you. reviews. Yeah, I love that. Nice. Thank you. Um, and w- when we talk about a few of the stories that we uh, have lined up for this week, we are it's going to seem like we really do have dream jobs because we've been running around trying to see a lot of the year-end awards con- uh, contenders. I know that yeah. the guys saw The Favorite. Um, Creed 2 is not an awards contender, is it? No, I wouldn't say so. Okay. I mean, I think it's going to be popular. I think it's going to do well. But I I, s- it's not an awards contender in the way that Creed was. Because they pushed Creed- Stallone for Creed. Yeah, they pushed Stallone hard. But, like, we got a screener for Creed. I don't think we're going to get a screener for Creed 2. Creed 2 is really good, by the way. Uh, Jake okay. and I were shocked yeah. by yeah. how much we liked it. But, yeah, I, I, I still... Like, are you I expecting s- to get an Oscar screener for Creed 2? No. I mean, here's the thing. If, I, if you get it, would you be surprised? Like, I wasn't <laughs> expri- surprised to get one for Creed. I would be surprised. Because, I mean, trust me, we've gotten some screeners where I go, really? You, <laughs> you, pay, you paid to have this one pressed? <laughs> well, oddly um, enough, Creed 2 isn't that far off from being as great as Creed 1. And Jake and I the problem is because it's a that. sequel, like, the yeah. novelty's not there. Mm-hmm. Stallone doesn't have as much to work with. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, there's no Oscar contention there. Like, it's not contending yeah. for anything. I mean, if anything, Michael B. Jordan deserves a nomination for Black Panther. So that's I'm, the thing. Uh, if he's going to get it, he'll get supporting for Black Panther. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. So, wow. uh, Do you think but, that happens? Does that happen? I think he's in the conversation. I'm really, real. I just re- I rewatched Black Panther last night, kind of just in honor of Stan Lee, and I was, uh, um, I, I was just, I'm just floored by that performance because, I mean, the guy literally takes off his shirt at one point and says, "I have a scar on my body for every person I've murdered." And then by the end of the movie, I'm like, "Why do I feel bad for this guy?" I yeah. mean, it's just like a truly remarkable performance in the sense that he is just found a path of um, uh, relatability and, and, and oddly enough, everything that the Wakandan people do at the end of black Panther is exactly what Michael B. Jordan was trying to get them to do. Mm. Um, which just, just says a lot to, for an actor to pull that off and, and, and find that relatability is pretty amazing, but you know, that's just me. All right, Kevin said he watched Black Panther in honor of Stan Lee. Let's start our news segment with the passing of Stan Lee, who who died at age 95. Um, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I think we all kind of knew that this day was going to come. I was more moved by the outpouring of of everybody just talking about from, you know, normal folk to the highest of highest celebrities where Down- Downey posted something that actually was just touching to me of just like, I owe it all to you and you realize that yeah. obviously through the MCU a lot of these guys got huge high profile jobs that changed their lives but when you just go back through the number of characters that Stanley created and you talk about television and comic books and all the different medium and then you know and, and the way that he was 
uh, reachable. Uh, he would go around to these fan conventions. He would take the time to meet people. Jake, you told the story uh, right before we got on that I want you to repeat about, you know, Stan saying how badly he wanted to just be able to meet everybody who wanted to meet him. Can you relay that? That sentiment? Yeah, yeah. I, I had the pleasure of, of meeting him here in Chicago a few years back and I got to interview him and, and spend some time with him. And, and he was as gracious of a person as you would ever want. I mean, he's one of those guys that you assume has heard every question and compliment yeah. at that, at this point in his life. He's not someone you're, you're probably not going to ask him something he hasn't heard, but he's, he's the kind of guy that when you're asking him these questions, he's making you feel like you, this is really the first time anyone's ever like, he's responding in such a way. Like he's so excited to talk to you. And, and, and this is really the first time he's ever heard a question like that before, even <laughs> though, you know, deep down in your heart, it's not. But one of the questions I asked him, cause he was, I was interviewing him right before he was about to go out and sit for a couple of hours and sign autographs for people. And at that point he was 92 and I said, you know, Mr. Lee, you're 92. I said, why, why are you still doing this? Why are you still flying around the country and, uh, and, 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 and sitting for hours to be able to sign autographs for strangers and, 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 and take pictures with strangers? And he told me that if there was one fan out there who felt disappointed because he or she did not get the opportunity to meet him, that he couldn't sleep at night. Right. And to me, that answer, because I, I talked to him for probably about 10 minutes, but that answer was the first thing that came to my mind uh whenever i heard that he had passed because that was what stood out to me that's that, that's the answer that was quintessential to me because he just genuinely did care about his his fans and and who he refers to as his friends i mean i've got an autograph literally framed on my wall of spider-man number one and it's autographed to my friend jake i don't assume that he would have ever remembered me 10 minutes after that interview <laughs> but he you know that like but I walked away feeling like Stanley's my friend, and I think he did that for a lot of people—people people who both met him and didn't. Sean, I know that you know. Obviously, you're deeply impacted by Spider-Man. You know, you, you, maybe you didn't get a chance to meet him, but I'm sure he still felt like a friend of yours. Oh, Jake, you sh- oh I'm sorry, Kevin. Good. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, John. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I wrote. I wrote something for Cinema Blend yesterday, just sort of thanking Stan for for everything, which was, you know, was really difficult to do because of, of the impact that he's had on my life. And when I put this into a tweet. I meant this with absolutely no hyperbole. Like I would not be the person that I am if not for his contributions. You know, like the the Marvel comics that I grew up reading were the first things that I ever read from cover to cover. And and I mean, like every I read every advertisement, I read the mailbag. You know, every letter sent in and every reply from them, uh, every box. Like in a way, Stan had like a, a gift of like that we sort of attribute to the WWE now of getting people excited about the next thing. You know, and yeah. he he would talk about like next week's issues are going to be so amazing. Wait till you see where the Fantastic Four is going and you can't believe what Captain America is was going to happen to him. And you'd be like, I, I need to buy that now. Like he got you so excited for it. And then as we as a society got to know him more, you realize that that was just his enthusiasm, his natural enthusiasm that shined through in, in all of these amazing things. Kevin, you have a the cameo that I think if we're not going to play a, a Stanley, you know, cameo blend type thing. But if you were to pick, you probably would pick Mallrats. You were talking about how important that scene is to you. And I think it speaks to, you know, him coming down to a level and speaking to a person in Jason Lee's character who's just a fan. Right. Well, for me, uh, when I saw Mallrats, see, Stan Lee, what, I have a very interesting relationship with Stan Lee in regards to my relationship with him and, and how I found out who he was, what he did. Um I didn't read a ton of comics when I was a kid, though I will say, like, when I was in, when I, before I was the age of 10, I remember living in a, in a neighborhood in Newport News, Virginia, and this and my buddy and I would compare comic books, and we would, like, read them together. But, like, Stan Lee, weirdly enough, was introduced to me fully as Stan Lee in 
Kevin Smith's Mall Rats, which I believe was 96, if I remember the date correctly. So I would have been 12 or 13 um, when I really kind of truly understood the impact of Stan Lee. And oddly enough, if you really watch the Jason Lee sequence um, in that moment when him and Jason Lee are speaking in the mall and Jason Lee's just going through all of Stan Lee's characters. And, uh, you know, oddly enough, while he's not telling Stanley the full truth, he's trying to get him to get back together with his with his girlfriend. I still feel there was a lot of genuineness coming from what he was saying about the characters. And I mean, I believe Stanley was married to the same woman for 69 years. Uh, I think she died in 2017. Um, I remember reading uh, or seeing an interview piece yesterday where he talked about when Peter Parker first sees Mary Jane and how he compared that to the first time he saw his wife. Um, so I, I just found, I don't know, when I go back to that mall rat scene and I, and I don't mean to pull that scene as an obscure one. I mean, I know there's a lot of MCU, very famous cameos he's done, but that one just meant a lot to me as a kid. And that's kind of how I became kind of a Stan Lee fan. Oddly enough, I remember that scene when that, when like Jason Lee's like getting mad and the guy's like, tell him Steve, Dave, he's like, <laughs> Stan Lee's signing comics. And I remember going to myself, who's Stan Lee? And I'm going to get I'm 12 years old. Um, and I had, I had just taped Mallrats off of HBO because it was a free weekend. I'm like, what's Mallrats? Um, and I, I, just, I don't know. That's kind of where I found how, who he was and really his impact on comics. And from that day forward, you know, obviously when Raimi made Spider-Man and all everything kind of going forward into the MCU, you know, Stanley obviously became a big part of my life. But oddly enough, it was his appearance in movies that really kind of solidified me. Uh, as a fan of who he was in the comic book world. So, um, but one thing I will say about Jake's piece for Stan Lee, if he, if you get a chance, I don't know if Jake can repost it, but it kind of goes through the history of who he was. And, um, I believe there's a lot, it's just a good historical lesson about him, uh, about who he was and the impact he had on comics. It's a really good piece. If Jake reposts, it. it's actually very informational. Um, who else is on that level right now? Like I, to me, Stephen King probably, but is anyone yeah. else? Lucas? Did we put Lucas on that say, level? Maybe, maybe Lucas. I mean, what level yeah, are you yeah, referring to? Yeah, in terms of people that had an, an impact where... Who created something passed, that's still impactful yeah. to us today. Yeah. L- uh, Lucas would be the next person that I would probably say. Because um, uh, I feel like Stephen King like had a massive influence, but it is still within a niche genre. Yeah. And you From a film's be, perspective, like, it's probably Spielberg, right? It's got to be Spielberg. Yeah. Just the number well, of things yeah. that he's contributed. Yeah, I mean, what's crazy about Stan Lee is, like, the crossover into everybody's life. Um, no matter who you are, you've been affected by something he's done. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how many people we can say. Yeah, I guess that's the question you're asking is how many people can we say that about? So Spielberg <laughs> for sure, uh, Lucas for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting because the MCU alone has made $17.5 billion. That's just the <laughs> MCU. That's right. not even That's not even the Sony version of the spider-man element and you know it's it, it's truly surreal um, well, and we play this all the time like if you could go back and talk to your younger version of yourself like if i could ever go back and talk to the younger version of myself and just say like you don't understand like these these characters that you love are, are going to be like global sensations you know that are powering one of the biggest entertainment franchises in your lifetime it's you couldn't wrap your brain around it yeah, it's didn't really you crazy. feel like when when you heard the news yesterday when Stan passed? You know, like if we you know we're all obviously getting older and we're progressing through lives, and you know, you know, Kevin, you've gotten married, and, and Sean, you have kids, but like you know, we still have strings. I feel like that are connecting us to our childhood that st- sort of kind of keep us at least one foot in that. And I felt like whenever I heard the news, that like one string got cut. 
And I was sort of like, I lost, like, you know, if you you know, know, I I, I, I stepped further away from the child, from my childhood. Yes, but um, no, because the his creations are so relevant, you know, and are not. It's not like they're going away, you know, like that's fair. He'll always be remembered as the creator, but but his vision is going to keep going on stronger and stronger. Yeah, yeah. He's just one of those guys that you just like forget. And and, and this is, I think, going to be the case as we get older and the people we grew up with start to pass. You know, you forget that that you know a lot of times that these people are are human, yeah. And and then whenever they do pass, you go, oh, that's right, like that's that's gonna come, that's gonna yeah. happen. And, and and that was one of the that when I think I would say probably him and Robin Williams were the two where I went like, oh, like okay, like that's that's a thing that we're gonna have to deal with in life. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of what Jake said about questions, uh, I, I mean, I, I think the first question I would love to have asked him if I could have interviewed him, and which is something he's probably already answered, and I just have never looked it up, and maybe you guys know the answer to it. Uh, I know he was ban- he was born Stanley Lieber, right? Stanley Martin Lieber. Okay, so his name Stanley S T A N L E Y. How did he come up with Stan Lee, and why? He, he came up with it because he told me uh, you, you he asked not, him this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he, he did not want people. I mean, he was uh, kind of ashamed at the beginning that he was writing comic books, mm-hmm. and he didn't want people to know that that's what he was doing. And I said, okay, well then, at mm. what point did you sort of go, wait, okay, maybe I shouldn't be ashamed of this anymore? And he told me it's based on what was used to write the fan letters. He said, when we first started getting fan letters, they were written in crayon. And then they some started coming in and they were written in pencil. That's and then cool. a few years later, they started coming in and they were written in ink. And when that's the fan awesome. letters came in written in ink by adults, that's when I knew that we were onto something. But that's how awesome. did he come up with the L E E? What where, where does I'm, that I'm sure where, it was I'm sure it was just a breakup of his name Stanley. But Stanley is only E Y. So I'm wondering I know, but still but but Stan Lee. I'm sure it's just, you know, it's just But I would love to know like what there must have been some like pretty precise decision making there to break up his name like that. Like it seems interesting to me. Well, I, I think at the time he was uh someone asked him what's your last name and he said I'm here by myself and they said right. Oh, Stan okay. Solo, yeah. <laughs> and he said, "No, nah, Stanley. Uh, talk about having connections. To- <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare <laughs> you? Connections to our childhood. Uh, a teaser trailer for Toy Story Four dropped, and I was super excited for this movie until I saw the teaser trailer. And I don't really know what to make of this. I don't know what Forky is. I don't get what like it's a craft thing put together with." googly eyes and it's a spork and i this was your opportunity pixar to to put a big foot forward um and i i left disappointed by that it's now, that's fun. Listen, i had the exact opposite reaction really i mean open mind and it's yeah. pixar and i love the toy story movies and i think it, it'll be fine but i was not wowed by that by that see initial i, I was impression. not excited about this movie um, I thought three was perfect in a perfect way to end i, I oh, thought sure. this money this movie I agree. was a cash grab yeah but that trailer made me go Okay, that's interesting because at this point, how do we define the word toy? Okay. And if you're a kid that just puts something together and and then you're able to play with it, does it then also get to come to life with the other toys that are manufactured? And then does it have this weird existential existence where like it doesn't know really what it is? And and granted, maybe I'm thinking way more into it than than <clears throat> they're going to when the movie comes out, but him screaming, I don't belong here. It really made me think, oh, are they going to go into more of an existential uh, okay. like crisis of what it means to be a toy? 
But shouldn't these movies be for kids? I, 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 I know that the Pixar ones they should be for. are on another I level. I used to be a kid. No, but see, I have I a 10-year-old. Stop cutting my strings, Sean. I, I have a 10-year-old who I'm bringing to this, and I don't want him to have to read Immanuel Kant when we leave I'm Toy sorry, Story did you 4. see the finale of Toy Story 3? Yeah, it was rough. See, it was I, I, I disagree with Sean on that. And I, but the weird thing is that Jake and I, neither of us have kids. I, I, I think a dog. Yeah, I have a dog, dog too. A but I, Oscar. I, I feel like Pixar is great because it's for both adults and kids. Um, a lot of. Oh, by the way, uh, we're playing Pixar Blend today. I forgot right. to mention that. Yeah, our, our Blend game worked out perfectly. But a lot of animated movies prior to Pixar and still today um, are made, six, in my opinion, just for kids. And the parents have to pay for the tickets and take their kids to see it. And I think Pixar tapped into a beautiful uh, balance where adults were enjoying something on a different level than the kids were. So, you know, there's a lot in Toy Story that kids aren't going to get. Just like Sean is saying now, like, you know, there are things maybe that are, are going a little bit darker. Pixar has always done that. And I think, yeah. you know, when a kid watches WALL-E, they might not pick up, they might not pick up on the on the emotional deep things that we're thinking about, right? So, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, listen, but, but I, PJ at 14 gets more out of Inside Out now than he did when he saw it the first time when it was just about the funny voices in this girl's head. Right. You know, now we get to the end of it and he's like, he actually turned to me the other day because it was on TV and we watched the back half of it and he, and he was like, this is really sad. And he yeah, was getting very really moved sad. by it. By the way, uh, uh, you got to mention this because this is uh, your your son... Yes. Is named after a Stan Lee character. Peter Parker, yeah. Uh, you, I, he's Peter John is uh, – PJ is Peter John, my oldest son. And he's named uh, – to me, he's named after Peter Parker. Uh, Michelle knows that but doesn't probably want to acknowledge it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and, – and for people who are watching on the Facebook Live, my Spider-Man shirt, I'm rocking my Spider-Man shirt today in honor of, of Stan Lee. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's – it's funny. Like they're all different like famous – uh, fa- famous Peters <laughs> that have come out through the years. But yeah, uh, Peter Parker's always been uh, a, a very special character to me. And so I snuck in that little mention to uh, a little reference to to uh, Stan. So uh, Toy Story 4 is coming. We got a long way to go. There was something today with Key and Peele. I didn't see the Key and Peele one yet. Uh, it was, it was it, yeah, essentially they're going to play carnival characters that really want to be one. Sort of like the, I guess the aliens from the original and oh, okay. They had a teaser trailer in which they kind of, and I, I doubt they're actually going to be like this in the movie, but they sort of replicated the two characters, the valet guys from the Key and Peel show. The Liam where Neeson's? They talk about like my Liam Neeson's. Oh, those Eventually, guys are funny. They, they, it's, they play that, but talking about the fact that Toy Story 4 is coming out. Yeah, okay. Jordan Peel posted a photo of the two characters on his Instagram. I was like so confused. I had no clue that they were in it. And then also, um, I, I'm kind of. I'm in the middle on the Toy Story 4 thing because, like, Toy Story 3, it, it was almost like the perfect trilogy. It was a great trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I just don't feel a need to continue the story. But, hey, listen, I mean, there have been four, five, and six of, of franchises that have ended up being – I mean, listen, uh, I mean, there, there are films that end up being better <laughs> than the other ones. You never know. This, I mean, like, if Tom Hanks is back, Tim Allen's back, I mean, I, I'm all in. Yeah, I honestly don't believe Pixar would bring this back – as a cash grab. I think the franchise is too valuable to them creatively. So I yeah. have to believe. I just wasn't expecting. God knows, you know, with Cars 2 and Cars 3, they've only shown us nothing but Dude. true quality sequels. Dude, that's awful. Um, let's move to the, the new game that's sweeping the nation. Uh, Real Blend Nation. Rising and Falling. Uh, this is where we talk about 
Oscar properties, as the race is now starting to heat up, we're seeing a lot more of the titles. Uh, movies that you think are, whether they're coming out and performing poorly and dropping off, um, or we're seeing them and they're taking the world by storm and they're rising. Uh, I don't know. Uh, anybody want to go first? I have, I have one I can throw out. And it, yeah, could, sort of, it could trigger us into our discussion. Uh, I think Roma is rising. And for a number of different reasons, oh, yeah. um, when I first saw it, I was super impressed by it technically. Uh, and now that I've seen it a second time, I, I don't want to say that it's a lock for Best Picture, but I think it has the strongest chances of becoming Netflix's first Best Picture nominee. Ever. At the, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about winning anything. It's way too early to win. But um, it, I think it's going to get a Best Picture nomination. I think Koran can get into the director category. I think what he does, and, and when the directors are acknowledging the work of another director, uh, I think he has a really good chance of getting into the, five, into the top five. And I think cinematography... Because Kevin and I got a chance to see it in New York City on the big screen. And and, and Netflix is now pushing it for a theatrical release. Um, they're getting a little bit of pushback from the Alamo Drafthouse. You guys see the story today about why the Drafthouse is not carrying Roma? Because yeah, of the, no. all, this, all these specifications that Netflix is putting on the theaters, you know, if you're going to show it theatrically, you have to show it in your biggest house. You have to show it in 70 millimeter if possible. It has to have a four-week run. Like, they're really pushing – at Quran's urging, I'm sure – you know, to keep it in the theater for as long as possible before it hits Netflix. And obviously AMC is not going to play with that. Regal's not going to play with that. So they're going to get limited to the types of movies that they can show the move, the, uh, the theaters that they can show the movie in. But I think as more people start to see this on the big screen, uh, it's going to be, it's going to rise in the Oscar conversation. So that's my, that's my entry. For this yeah. Time. I'm with you hundred percent. I was, uh, I knew Roma was getting a lot of buzz. And then I saw the film with Sean on, on uh, a couple of days ago, and it just floored me. Um, it's a film that I can't wait to see again because I was just so. Um, it's interesting on the first watch because there's so much going on, uh, and oddly enough, I've been replaying the film a lot in my mind, uh, finding shots that I didn't even think about examining when I first saw them. They're just flashing in my head. Um, this is a story that is equally as uplifting as it is devastating. And it's just a very fascinating uh, look into a life that I didn't know much about. And I feel honored that I was able to kind of learn more about uh, Alfonso's uh, past and his life. And um, this incredible woman that uh, played this, that was a maid for his family, I believe. And it's just, um, it's a film that I think, I think a second viewing, it's funny, I was sitting next to Sean watching it, and I could hear Sean gasping on realizations he was having about shots he was seeing for a second time that then meant more to him on the viewing. And I I remember the exact ones. Um, And I I remember saying to myself, man, I wish I've already seen this so I could really, (laughs) I really, really wish I could, like, understand what that means because now that the film's over, I'm, like, replaying it. Um, That's definitely a rising thing. And I think the theater experience, you know, you have to give Netflix major credit for uh, allowing this to get a theatrical release before it streams. This is not a thing where it's day of streaming, day of theater. They're giving this a proper theatrical run in the theaters that will allow it. And I hope we get to a time where the AMCs and the Regals uh, will get uh, around that 90-day thing they have. I believe it's what it is. They they require a 
and is it a 90 day run? Uh, I'll have to double check yeah. on the number. Yeah, the, the um, major chains want a 90 day exclusivity before anything right. hits streaming. Exactly. So that's an interesting thing that I'm, I think will eventually. Cause here's the thing Netflix is here and it's not going anywhere. And they're having some of the biggest filmmakers making movies for them. Martin Scorsese, Coen Brothers. These theater chains are going to have to figure out a way to make this work. The Alamo well, Draft House. Th- Go ahead. No, and in, in a piece that I wrote today, was I was just talking about the fact that like I, things are changing so rapidly. Like a year ago, we wouldn't have even had this number of filmmakers working with Netflix. And we and the, the idea of a Netflix movie getting into theaters to me would have been so foreign because yeah. the, the major chains in speaking to managers and friends who I know who are associated with the theater chains, they are adamant about not screening Netflix movies. Right. And, and it, but, but the landscape is changing so rapidly that you're right. They have to react. They have to keep up because these yeah. are big movies that are coming. Now, you know, the Paul Greengrass movie, 22 July, didn't really take the world by storm, but it was something that needed to be seen on the bigger screen. The Coens have the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, you know, and they're pushing to get it theatrically released. But if we get to a point where, um, you know, a, a major franchise, let, let's say the Fast and the Furious movies uh, move from Universal to Netflix, you know, or a franchise like that, you're going to tell me that like the AMCs and the Regals aren't going to get on board for a summer right. blockbuster? Like clearly that's going to be something that, that breaks the door wide open. I, I had a bit of a revelation and, and I want to say this because I think it's important. Um, when I was in Scotland for Outlaw King, uh, I spoke to David McKenzie, who directed Outlaw King, who the movie was made for Netflix. And uh, it's a gigantic, gigantic film. It's an epic, like big special effects, like, you know, practical effects. And I said to him, I was like, is it, is, does it worry you that people will watch this on their phones or on their computers instead of seeing it in a theater? Uh, and he made a point about... If you think about it, after a film is in movie theaters for three months or so, the majority of people who are watching it after that three-month period for the rest of our lives is on a home video system. Um, And now here's the thing. I am never going to change my tune about being an advocate for theater uh, experiences because I think it is the best experience. But when we were at the Q&A the other night, Yalitza, the actress who plays Cleo in uh, in Roma, uh, said something that was so powerful to me that it, it made me step back and I was like, wow, okay, I need to start thinking about my uh, the world outside of my own box. Um, meaning that I have a very easy, accessible access to movie theaters. I can go down, I have seven movie theaters within a 15 mile radius of my house. Um, we are very lucky for that. Yalitza lives in a community where the closest movie theater is three hours away. Um, and so it was this interesting dynamic on stage where Alfonso, this beautiful filmmaker who wants his vision on the biggest screen possible with the gorgeous cinematography, um, understood that not everybody has that access. And, and, and hearing Yalitza explain that just gave me a perspective of, okay, wow, I, 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 the power Netflix is pretty damn powerful if they're going to be able to give people access to these new types of films this quickly. Um, so I think the best of both worlds is what's happening with Roma. We are getting a theatrical release on November 21st in select city, cities in the United States. Then it goes streaming on December 14th. I think that's a perfect balance. And I don't know how else to change it. I think that's a great thing. And I hope it happens more often. And I, I, and I just was, I just wanted, I just got a little bit of a more worldly perspective when we were at that Q and a, it was interesting to hear that perspective. Jakey, you have a uh, rise, fall? Uh, I sort of feel like 
Bradley Cooper's best actor chances have been slimming. Lately. Ooh, really? Only really? because I feel like interesting and and having sort of um, conversations with different studio people. You know, I love asking them like, okay, who are you guys afraid of? Or 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 asking or talking to different studios and say, okay, who do you think is your best chance at knocking off the front runners? And I feel like. Right now, Viggo Mortensen is riding high on Green Book, and I right. feel like we are not prepared for how strong Christian Bale is about to come in with Vice. Wow. And I feel like since both of those films are coming in later in the race, and I mean, at this point, we're already a month and a half out from A Star is Born, mm-hmm. and we're, what, two months from the Oscar nominations? Like, that's a lot of freaking momentum that Bradley Cooper has to keep up. Can you clarify and- one thing, Jake? Are you saying he's not going to get nominated or not going to win? Not going to win. And I okay, say in the sense okay, that, like, okay. like, falling in the sense that, like, I feel like at this time, maybe a month ago, a lot of us were going, yeah, this could, this is Bradley Cooper's to lose. And then all of a sudden, you know, Green Book ends up being embraced. And, you know, the trailer for Vice drops. And I don't feel like he's quite in that, oh, he's going to win category, which I think it's great whenever we don't have, like, that Gary Oldman who, like, in August, we're like, well, that is over. Yeah, I always but, kind of thought coming that early was going to hurt Stars Born eventually because they almost are going to have to do a second campaign yeah. to remind people, yeah. like, don't forget why you loved this movie yeah. a long time ago. And that's such a theatrical movie. Like, if yeah. I get the screener at and home— How is that going to play in the screener? I've already said to Michelle, like— I want to go back and see it in the theater before it disappears, yeah. right? Because we're, we're getting and like, the screener Gaga, at home, I feel like, kind of already has it in the bag— because because Gaga could get because she wrote the song she could get the original song Oscar and then yeah. the Academy goes well there's hers yeah Bradley doesn't have it as much in the bag you know especially if 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 it, it, you are right which I think you are in that that Roma is rising and so Alfonso Cuarón could have director in the bag and so at right. that point Bradley Cooper has got to win actor and I don't think he's as much of a front runner now as he was a month ago which means you know so is that is that trajectory going to keep going down. Especially considering we're a month out from Vice, and the second I saw the Vice trailer, I went, "Well, that might be it." Oscar yeah. Vice for for uh, yeah. Bradley Cooper. It was that strong. The the Christian I mean, the Barrel. fact that I could show the Vice trailer to people and say, "Who is it that plays Dick Cheney?" and I had a lot of people go, "I have no idea who is that." Right. Yeah, um, I'm going to throw one quick falling before we move on to um, the front runner. Seems like it's falling away. Like, is anybody talking about the I, front runner? I didn't really feel like it was ever really, no pun intended, any kind of a front runner. Like, I never yeah. really felt buzz for that. I felt like the movie that people were trying to convince me there was buzz for because it was Jason Reitman, it was Hugh Jackman, which is a bummer because it's a great Hugh Jackman performance. But I never really like. I have a hard time saying that it's falling, if only just because I didn't think it really had a high perch to fall from. Yeah, yeah, that seems that. Uh... It would need a, but I do really agree with push. Kevin, and that I feel like I've been hearing more buzz about Michael B. Jordan and a supporting actor campaign. I've, oh, I've been hearing yeah. more and more. And granted, to be fair, we did just get off the Creed junket, so obviously a lot of people were talking about Michael B. Jordan. But I've been I've been hearing that, and I've been seeing his name pop up on a lot of uh, uh, support well, prediction lists. And I think we've said this a number of times on the show. I would love for nominees to be coming from the front half of the year because it always yeah. seems like the Oscar race is anything yeah. that came out in November, December. So I loved yeah. when I mean, I'd one, love for um, oh, I'm w- sorry. one of the screeners that landed in our mailbox. I think you guys probably got it, too, is Quiet Place. Like, I want to see them push. Yeah, her uh, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I would love yeah. to see her. But did you see that they're pushing her for supporting actress? Yes. Yeah, they like, are. Yeah. Uh, wait, like, you know why? But is it because Mary you know Poppins? What? Yeah, because of Mary Poppins. They don't want to compete with her but, own campaign for Best Actress for that. 
But see, that's confusing because, like, in my heart, I don't want to write her name down in the supporting actress category. But am I screwing her over by going, no, she deserves to be an actress, and then writing her name down an actress? Yes. Because yes. But that's what happened to Kate Winslet. With Kate Winslet, they were pushing her for the reader for supporting actress, and then they nominated her for actress. Yes. Correct. It was the same year that she had Revolutionary Road because they thought oh. that same thing, that she was going to be having it split. She ended up not being nominated for Revolutionary Road and then being nominated in a different category for the reader. Oddly enough, I, I saw The Favorite the other day, and I, I think that they're probably going to push Emma Stone for supporting and Olivia Coleman for lead, but I think it's the reverse. I think I it's, agree. Emma, I think I agree it's, it's Emma Stone's movie. But it's the same thing as what happened with The Danish Girl. They're going to, uh, and that, isn't that how uh, Alicia Vikander ended up winning? She won in the supporting category. Yeah, so it's it, right. it's all political. It's okay. not really what the movie really is stating, even though I think Emma Stone, it, the favorite is Emma Stone's movie. That story is her story. In the um, same way that A Quiet Place is arguably Emily Blunt's movie. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I want to throw out too, and I know this isn't the concept of rising and falling. This is more of a, hey, don't forget this performance. But I finally saw Charlize Theron in um, Tully. And oh my God, she was incredible. <laughs> And I hope that they like, find honestly, a way. that's the better Jason Reitman movie this year. Yeah. It was really, really good. So uh we basically broke she down is really Roma. Good, yeah, we are <laughs> Gabe says we are full we are full of words blend today. And he loves Wait, it. Jake, yes. Jake didn't say anything about Roma. We got we got we gotta talk about Roma. I want to get into a discussion about this. This is a big well, movie. I mean, to be fair, Roma doesn't come out till December. We gotta no, have next, next, next week. A little bit. The no. movie opens next week. Next Wednesday, it? it opens in theaters. I think we got to let some more people see it before we dive into full specifics of it. Well, no, no, no. I'm not yeah. saying spoilers, but can't we talk about the movie? Can't we talk about what we thought about it? I thought we were going to talk um, about Roma. I, I feel like... Sure, why not? Let's give it a few more minutes. Let's give it a few minutes. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to talk too well, much about it. I want people to be able to see it. All right, people well, then let's wait then. I, I loved think, it. That's all I'll yeah, say. Yeah, we can say that Kevin and I are over the moon for it. Kevin, it's going to make yeah. my top five. I'm trying to find out where everything shakes out, but it's... It blew me away. I think I was telling you before it screened, it's, it was my number two. It, it, it was that high. And I still need to see a lot more stuff, obviously. And I need to see how everything sort of shakes out. I don't think anything's going to top Infinity War for me. Like, that's just going to be, that's going to be it for me. That's my number one. I, I, it would have to be something that just melted my brain to, to knock it out. But Roma, especially the second time through, dude, it's, it's a different movie the second time through because you know everything that's coming. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, I'm gonna say, I'll say one it. thing about I'll say one thing about Roma. Uh, so since people are going to be downloading this podcast within this next week or next week, if you live in an area where it's playing in a theater, it opens up on the 21st, which is next Wednesday, I believe. Um, so uh, if you get a chance, seek it out in a theater. Um, it is shot on Alexa 65. It is um, black and white. It is subtitles. It is not uh, a <laughs> film that is easily pitched to movie studios. Um, right. And it is. It is a work of art in the sense that every single millimeter of every single frame in this film is important. Um, and I would love nothing more than to sit in a theater and pause every single frame and just study it. Uh, well, it is to the just point insane. that like Kevin is Kevin is sharing in the text chain like images from. Are you pulling them out of the trailer, or is that a promotional image? That was a, a picture I was I pulled up. Was it really? Okay. And it's so, all, and, that and, whole movie is one big foreshadowing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah even when we just look in the backgrounds of promotional images, we're like finding things that are important references yeah. to things that happen later in the story. I, uh, I was at my desk at work today and I learned something more about Roma by looking at a photo. I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. That was like, here's the thing. We'll, we'll dive into it later on. Just um, 
This is but a I'm, film that it just require it just requires your full attention. And what I mean by that is, if you're at home watching it on your Netflix uh, on your TV on December fourteenth, don't get up and go to the bathroom unless you pause it. Don't check your phone. Um, I just have a, I'm really worried about that uh, happening at home with people with that movie because it's you have to pay attention to it. It's a very detailed oriented film that requires your full undivided attention. Well, now I want Jake to count. Also, because unless you speak Spanish. You're not going to be able to know what they're saying. <laughs> by the Jake way, to, Jake, to counterpoint, yes, Kevin. By the way, cool, cool side note. Before before Jake, before Jake goes into it, um, to give Alfonso Cuarón credit, uh, even though I've already given him a zillion pieces of that, the way he handled the subtitles is actually rather brilliant. And I don't know if I've ever seen this happen in a film before. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe he did it in Two Mama Tommy. I, don't, I can't remember. Um, you'll have a scene where two people are talking, and it'll be the dialogue of the one person and the dialogue of the second person. And he'll put both of their lines on the screen right away. So you read the line and then you look up and fit and watch the scene. And I found that to be so helpful instead of looking back down every time someone spoke in a, in the middle of a conversation. So I, I thought that was kind of cool, but anyways, continue. you remember how Tony Scott did uh, subtitles in Domino? Yeah, I was it Domino those. or was it Man on Fire? We're like, uh, we're like, uh, oh, I loved it. Would it be like a word that he would like emphasize so he'd make it like really big? He or did it in a Man on Fire too, but I think he did it in a couple different. Was it movies. Man on Fire? I like that. Yeah, that was a pretty cool yeah. technique. It's one of the first times I've I did seen too. That. Oh no, I loved it. I loved uh, it. Jake, you didn't love Roma, and that's fine because I, I do and, understand. And, it, and I want to say, even with Chris Van Vliet, who has been on the show before and is a really good friend of ours, afterwards he said, "I, I appreciate the technicality of it, but it didn't sweep him up either." And so I want you to just sort of talk about your experience with the movie. Yeah, and you know, and, and and we talk about this a lot. My my pet peeve is that I'm afraid over the next three months somehow I'm going to get wrapped into these like Jake didn't like or hated <laughs> Roma thing, and by no means did I. Uh, and, and I don't mean because I know you guys joke about it, but there we we but there you know there are people out there that are seriously going to be like, well, because Jake didn't love it, he hated it. It's one of those movies that I put in the category of, and this is such like a backwards compliment, but like I respected it, but didn't necessarily like it. I understand technically how masterfully it is made. I understand the, the usage of everything in the frame. Uh, I, I, I mean, there were, there were moments like that we all agree on like certain things in the background. I was like, yeah, that was fantastic. And, and there are a couple of moments that everyone keeps emphasizing that I won't spoil that. We, yeah, we, we talk about those and those scenes were incredibly well done. And Kevin has told me a lot of behind the scenes details that yeah, are interesting, but don't necessarily make the film better for me. Cause I don't feel like you need to know behind the scenes details in order to make the film better. It didn't connect with me emotionally aside from, two scenes that everyone is talking about where I went like, yeah, okay, that's a gut punch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I sort of, I, I, I wanted to, man. I mean, we're talking about a movie that I went into assuming it was going to be, you know, it wasn't, is this going to be on my top 10 list? It was, where is it going to be on my top 10 list? Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest with you. Like I'll, I, I will genuinely make a, a conscious effort to give it another shot before the year is out, especially since it is going to be so accessible. Um, but it just, I mean, I got to be honest, based on how I feel about it right now, which is a total emotional disconnect, it has no shot at making my top 10. Yeah. Not even well, close. And in a year where there's, we, I think you can rattle off 10 movies that did emotionally grab you, you know, right away. It, right. It's a hard to make a, to make a case for a film like that if it didn't work on you the first time. I can see it. Right. I really can. Yeah. And I had a lot of people go, well, hold on and wait because maybe it'll connect with you within the next few days. And I was really genuinely hoping... It did. Like I would like wake up in the morning and go like, okay, wait, am I more connected? And, and no, like I mean, like trust me, I, this is I'm not trying to be this guy 
who doesn't like this movie that everyone else loves. I, I, I take no joy, because trust me, I love Alfonso. You know, he's, he's made what I would argue are two of the greatest films of this century with Children of Men and Gravity. So, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to, like, rip this guy's, like, personal, you know, love letter to his childhood apart. But it just it didn't it, it did nothing for me, man. It just did nothing for me. Okay, I think, uh, and, and I do want to want Jake to see it again because I, I I want to. I really am going to try. I want to break it down in more detail when when our when our listeners are able to have seen the film. We'll take it. We'll take a de- deeper dive. Um, one thing I want to say before people watch it, it's which is really kind of cool. Um, Alfonso didn't share the script with anybody. No one. No one. No one in the cast. Nobody in the production. Nobody. Just him. Uh, and a lot of what you're seeing on screen, and this is, I, I'm going to say this vaguely because you'll know what I mean when you watch it, there are, it's all happening essentially in a genuine way. Um, these, these actors are acting and reacting in genuine ways to dialogue they are just being given, basically. Uh, and, and, I also will say, too, I, I do agree with both of you guys. Even though I feel differently about the film, I agree 110%. You need to see it on the big screen. Like, this is yeah. like... If you know, this is literally a you know we use the word "see" a lot. You need to see this movie, but I'm talking about the literal usage of the word. You need to see this movie on as big a screen as possible. If you if you uh, discounting how I felt felt about it emotionally, it's a art a piece of art, and uh, and you know you, you you wouldn't look at the Mona Lisa from from a hundred feet away. You'd want to stand as close as possible. So so put this thing on as um, big a screen as possible and put it in front of your eyeballs. This film is so good that he made dog poop look beautiful. That's how good this movie is. No, I'm yeah, being I'm being serious. I'm being I'm being serious. Like I've never seen anybody photograph dog poop like that. Like it was unreal. I mean, um, Sean, come on, it's a big part of the movie. No, it's a big part of the movie. It sounds weird. Out it of sounds context, weird, but it's amazing. But it's there's amazing. a shot of a of a car tire running over dog poop. Dog poop, and and it, and the it's shot of the tire running over dog poop has such an emotional component to it. Oh yes. my god! I okay. agree with you. Like, I was it has like, a yeah, huge like emotional component to it. Yes. I know. Yes, you're 100 percent right. Of he what made, it made. Yeah. Yes. Dave is wrapping okay. us up. But before okay. we move on, I want to move on from Roma, but just really quickly talk about it because um, Kevin and I got to go to this screening in New York City. Alfonso did a Q and A afterwards. He tried to meet other people afterwards. We did this really awkward thing where we were like in a group of people that were kind of hovering around him. We were talking about how weird it was. We didn't want to hang out there and wait to talk to him because he had a line of people waiting to get to him. Um, he was being pulled literally to go to another Q&A. The Netflix <laughs> reps, uh, the, the one Netflix rep was so broken mentally by what was happening that she just kept saying, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. He has to go. This is not funny. He yeah, has DGA. to leave. Yeah, he DGA had to go. Yeah. So, but she, she also, or one of them said um, to Kevin, because she knew Kevin from other things, she said, Kevin, get in the elevator Right now, you can ride down with Alfonso and uh, ask him the questions that you're waiting to ask him. And Kevin turned to Van Vliet and I, and he was like, you guys get in too. Like, we all got to get in. We got to just meet Alfonso. <laughs> so we pile into this elevator. Um, and first to of all, there's fair, a security we've guy. all met him before. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, numerous times. But after yes. seeing something like that, you want to just shake the guy's so hand. there's a security guy outside the elevator door and another security guy <laughs> in the elevator car. And the three this of us the, idiots stumble into the elevator car and he's like, this is how easy it is, guys, if you're listening to this. The security guy goes, are you three supposed to be in here? And Kevin goes, oh yeah, they told us just to come in. <laughs> Which was true. The guy goes, oh, okay, that's fine. Let so, that be a lesson for you, kids. <laughs> yes. So we're standing there against the wall waiting for Alfonso to come in. And he, he comes in with the Netflix entourage and just goes, oh, hello, how are you? Nice, nice to meet you. Goes around and shakes all of our hands. 
And then, Kevin, take over your question. What did you ask him? Well, no, I mean, I won't go into detail because I don't want to spoil anything. But oh, that's there, fair. There's yeah, a, that's fair. There, there's a big, there's a visual metaphor in this film that I wanted to ask his opinion on. And most filmmakers don't want to give away exactly what they mean by something. So I'll dive into that um, when we get into a spoiler talk about Roma. But it's, it was pretty cool because there was a long line of people waiting to meet him. And they literally had to yank him to get to a DGA Q&A. And this, and, and this amazing Netflix person was like, Hey, come on the elevator. So yeah, it's like Sean said, we got on the elevator, rode the elevator. Uh, at one point we got off the elevator, like Alfonso put his arm around me. We're like laughing. I'm like, this is amazing. I love children of men, whatever. And it was just crazy. And I got to say this and then we'll move on. Alfonso shot this movie uh, as a cinematographer. And we learned that Chivo was supposed to shoot this. Emmanuel yeah. Lebowski, uh scheduling conflict Could he get happen. an Oscar nomination for cinematography? Yes. 100%. No yeah. question. Wow. Uh, and Emmanuel Lebowski did do some scouting, um, but because it's such a personal story and because of a scheduling conflict, Alfonso ended up shooting it. Um, and I will say this, and they said this during the Q&A, you will recognize a lot of very similar shots to what Chivo's done previously in Alfonso's work. And one in particular, if you remember the scene in Children of Men, as the car, as the camera was spinning around the car with Julianne Moore and the ping pong ball, you'll see reminiscence of that kind of stuff as well. It's really cool oh, watching Jake. you pick up on that. I got to watch Kevin ask Koran about the ping pong ball shot. <laughs> I got to actually watch that happen. Yeah, that and, was cool. uh, he had a really funny line, which I won't say right now because it, it'll ruin yeah. something that happens in the movie. Um, but it was yeah, really, yeah. it was great cool. to see. And Kevin and I have this great picture of us with Koran at the Critics' <laughs> Choice, and I. And Kevin really wanted his picture with Alfonso, and he had Van Vliet ready to take it. And he got a great picture. If you go to Kevin's social channel, he got a great picture of Alfonso. And I was like two seconds away from jumping in and ruining it. I'm just I was so like, mad you didn't jump in. I actually <laughs> felt bad. I was like, why didn't Sean jump in here? But this was a no. great moment to recreate, do a sequel to our picture. It could have been the I sequel. Know. We'll get a chance to do that at some other point. Yeah. He will be at Critics' Choice, I would imagine. Uh, we want to move into reviews of, of films that are coming out. This week, and you guys are each able to see Fantastic Beasts 2. Uh, we will keep this non-spoilery, but just let people know, should they go see it this week? No. Oh. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. Oh, you no. Shouldn't. Jake, the way you said that made me so sad. No. I mean, like, I I would give the first Fantastic Beasts a meh out of ten. Right. Uh, this one, I mean, it just, like, it, and, and Kevin, back me up, man. Nothing happens. I mean, if you really, I mean, we're talking about this is the second chapter of a five chapter story, right? So when you look at the characters at the beginning of the film versus the characters at the end of the film, there should be a major progression. And if there's not, then it shouldn't be a five chapter story. Mm. The characters are, for the most part, obviously some some exceptions, they're kind of in the same exact place. Like nothing, like the story does not progress at all. Nothing really happens, and it's so convoluted. I mean, we're we're talking about there is a, a moment in the film where they someone tells this incredibly detailed, complicated <laughs> story that's hard to really understand what they're saying, and then someone steps up and goes, "That's not what happened." Here's my version. This is what happened, <laughs> and then you get another version that's oh, it's just like. Remember when it was just three kids that went to school and they played a game and then at a certain point Ray Fine showed up and he was really mean to them? Like, the simplicity. Like, that's what I miss is the simplicity. Not every battle can be the most important battle in the history of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Sometimes things are just okay. And that's okay. The interesting thing about the sequel to Fantastic Beasts, I actually like the first one. 
Um, and I am a casual Harry Potter fan. So, uh, meaning that I've seen every one of the Harry Potter movies at least once, some of them twice. I think Azkaban, um, speaking of Hans of Koran, is the, is the masterpiece of the bunch. But, uh, David Yates, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think, and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure he did Deathly Hallows, right? Uh, part yes. one and part two. Yeah, uh, he I, did, he did five and beyond, right? Okay. Got the fire and beyond. And I found Deathly Hallows Part 2 to be one of the most underwhelming endings in the history of cinema. Uh, I thought the Voldemort-Harry battle was just... I, I, I couldn't believe I waited 10 years for that fight, because it was nothing because nothing happened. Uh, I mean, obviously, Voldemort dies, but it was just... It just didn't... It didn't feel like it meant it should have after 10 years. Fantastic Beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and I think Jake can attest to this. Um, like, like Jake just said... I couldn't tell you what happened in that film because nothing really progresses. Um, on a positive note, I thought the opening was awesome. There's a really cool opening sequence with Johnny Depp, which I won't give away, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was very well done. Um, I think that Jude Law is great as young Dumbledore um, in the scenes that he's in when he's like, you know, uh, but... He's underused. Yeah, he's underused, uh, but... Uh, so they want to do focused. five of these movies. That's three more. You guys want to see yeah. three more of these? Well, oh. not. But here's the problem. A- after this movie, in my opinion, the Harry Potter movies, the one thing they did well is that every one of them, while it was one continual story, had a beginning and an end. Yeah. Enough so where it felt like a complete film in its own. Yeah. Azkaban is a complete movie in its own. Even though the story was going to continue, it just felt like it, it had a beginning and an end. This yep. feels like nothing more than a bridge. Um, a bridge where like you, like I, I, I'm like, I'm on a major hike and I step across a quick bridge and nothing's changed in my hike. You know what I mean? But even didn't, didn't the feel, the first one also sort of feel like, like whenever the first one was over, I was like, okay, I wasn't crazy about it, but that feels like a setup for the next one. Yeah, like, yeah, but they, but, but they can't like they can't all be setups for that. Eventually, there has to be the thing that was they were setting things up for. Like yeah. it can't be four movies of setup for the last yeah. movie. Then that's mean, what I so far it feels like the first two are just sounds setup like, movies. Sounds like it was a Dumble bore. <laughs> oh wow! See, Sean, Sean, he's in LA. He's getting a little bit of that, a little bit of the Kevin Puns vibes. But I will. I, I just I. I, I Jake looks so angry. (laughs) He looks so angry. Can we go back and talk about Roma, please? (laughs) I will say this. I will say this. Dog poop, Jake. The beautiful dog poop. Yes, that was. Yes, that was. I know that sounds weird, but when you see the movie, you'll know what I mean. And Sean can agree with you on the dog poop thing. I do. Um, do. Because it actually is a very big big visual metaphor in Roma. Um, The... I know it sounds weird, but it is, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making a joke. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Anyways, Fantastic Beasts. You can't, you can't use the okay. Sean will agree with me <laughs> thing for all arguments because he's also the guy that thinks Kill Bill should be two different movies. That's I only true. say I'm only saying that because people might take my dog poop thing as like a joke, and it's not. Um, yeah. So this, wait, uh, before wait, widows. Wid- oh, do you have something else? Fantastic Beasts. Wrap up Fantastic Beasts. All I want to say Gabe about Fantastic Beasts though is that inside. the performances in Fantastic Beasts are very good. So like Zoe okay. Kravitz is great. I, yeah. I, Zoe Kravitz is actually really good. And she ends up being kind of the emotional, uh, in my opinion, the emotional thing that I connected to the most in the movie. Um, and also, I am continuously astounded at the seemingly like bottomless imagination of J.K. Rowling. Yeah, like, say well, what you want okay. to. Like, like our, okay, our the, the, the diehard s- fans of this world going to appreciate it more than you guys did. So my wife watched it with me. Who is Lauren? Is the, one of the biggest Harry Potter fans on the planet? And this is one thing I found interesting. I think that every movie should be accessible to every audience watching it. Um, sure. There were 
moments in this film, my wife didn't love the film either, but she liked it more than I did because there was so many deep cuts and mentions to Potter references Mm -hmm. um, that I didn't pick up on that she did. So it almost like to me was like, if you're not the biggest Harry Potter Potter fan on the planet, you're going to miss a lot of things. I don't know how Jake felt. I missed and I was very attentive. Yeah, I'm there were a couple of things. Like I, I consider myself a, a casual, casual Harry Potter yeah. fan. Like I, mm-hmm. I like them, you know. But uh, when Lauren started listing some things, like, oh, did you know that this was, was that, like, Whoa. And this was that, and this person yeah. was that person? I was like, yeah, I missed all that. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it, it, it's just. It, it must it, have been in between the moments when nothing happened. It just felt like unnecessary. <laughs> um, but there are positives, and we can get into more later on. But that it, it's kind of an underwhelming film, right. unfortunately. Um, we the Pixar blend, the blend game this week is Pixar blend, um, and we picked that before the Toy Story four trailer was going to drop. And when I announced it last week, uh, these guys were convinced already they knew what their choices were going to be. They were like, oh, that's that's easy. I know what it is. And Jake brought up a really good point. I listened back to the episode last week. He's like, because it's favorite and not best. If we were debating best, it would be a best lot would harder. Be harder. Yeah. So I do want us to actually try to weigh in on best if we can. If you guys have given it any thought. But, but we'll play you know, the we game. we talk all day, every day. You could have brought <laughs> yes. this up at any point. No, that's no fun. It's given me time to think about this. Why would we do that? And actually, Jake, you get to go first. So why don't you go first with uh, what? What are you pointing at? No, I got to wrap up something. Um, you're typing me to me that I have to look and say, yo. Uh, oh, widow- oh, Widows. Well, I skipped over Widows because I thought we were going too long, Gabe. Fine, I'll mention Widows. Fine, Gabe. Widows opens. Jake, you're the only one who's seen it besides Gabe who did the junket for it. Mr. Fancy Gabe wants us to talk about the fact he did his first junket and spoke to Liam Neeson's and Viola Davis. Um, I feel like I have to go out of my way to see Widows because I missed the press screening. Jake, is it worth my time? Is it going to contend for any Oscars? Is it entertaining? It's really strong, dude. Like, yeah. I would absolutely, absolutely see it. It's an incredible film. The editing is top-notch. Um, I love Stephen McQueen. It's the, yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a solid production by Stephen, Steve McQueen. It's, it's a movie that, if made by a lesser filmmaker, would be made about the husbands, but it proves that oftentimes the, the, uh, the, the wives of men are far more interesting than the men's, men themselves. Uh, absolutely, if you can see this movie see this movie, get around to seeing it. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I'm not sure, Gabe, I'm, you know, this is where I'd love to have you on, on the show. Like, I'm not sure if it's really going to be any kind of a major contender for any awards. <laughs> I could see it maybe nominated here or there. I could see, I could see Viola per, or perhaps working her way into the Best Actress race. I really wish more people were talking about uh, Elizabeth DeBecky. DeBecky. Uh, who I heard who she's really, great. I think, uh, uh, deserves a Supporting Actress nomination. Um, you know, it's not it's not going to be the Oscar contender that 12 Years a Slave was for Steve McQueen, but uh, it's an incredibly, incredibly strong film that I think when people just refer to it as a heist <laughs> film does not do it justice. I'm blown away that we're burying the lead here. Yes. Um, uh, Gabe, do you have the ability to speak to us with audio? Okay, you don't. All right, so Gabe, um, as you mentioned, did the press junket in uh, in Chicago with Jake interviewing the whole cast. Yes. Liam Neeson. This is, I believe this is Gabe's first press junket is this correct Jay, First uh, Gabe? press okay. junket yes i'm just curious from a, from a from a uh, standpoint of somebody who's rapped by you a lot in the sense of like you <laughs> like you rap my time what did it feel like to be rapped by somebody like in the sense of like <laughs> yeah. you're in the middle of an interview with Liam Neeson and, and the timer to the right of you is telling you to wrap up in your 4 minutes 
What did it feel like? What did that feel like? He said, said, it felt like the world had order and harmony. (laughs) (laughs) You know what what would have been really, how funny would it have been? I I would have paid good money to see this. (laughs) Liam Neeson's in the middle of an answer and Gabe goes, we got to wrap this I'm, up. I'm sorry, we're out of time. We got to wrap this up. Liam, you got to stop here. Can you please uh, I will wrap, give Gabe credit because we always love, the three of us love this. This is like such a jolt of adrenaline. Anytime somebody says, what a great question that you've asked. Oh, that's a great question. I haven't heard that question. Gabe yeah, did give rush. a question to Liam Neeson and Viola Davis in his room at the end of his time. And Liam Neeson was like, we would need a half an hour just to answer that one question. Like there's so much wow. that I would like to tell yeah. you about that. And uh, so yeah, it was that was I was so proud of him. That was well tremendous. Done. Well, and like on the other end of the spectrum, I asked a question. And Liam Neeson goes, "Really? That's that's the one you want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> Did that really happen? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes it difficult. Uh, Pixar blend hashtag you, Pixar do blend. That, do, do you what? think that when um, when Liam Neeson travels and like stays <laughs> at a hotel that he gets per diem Neeson? <laughs> Per diem Neeson, I messed that one up. I'm sorry. <laughs> totally I messed that one up. I'm not on my game today. Jake, oh. go first. Pixar blend. Your favorite Pixar movie of all time is the original Toy oh. Story. Oh, hold on. I wanted to ask Gabe too. Did we, do we all have the same answers? Do we have any same any same answers, Gabe? Oh shoot! Really? Interesting. All right. Go ahead, Jakey. Uh, the original Toy Story. Uh, I, I mean, and you know, this is one where nostalgia just plays such a big part of it. I mean, I, I, I more so than maybe any animated movie, I really remember where I was when Toy Story came out and just the, that, that I remember standing, uh, on the sidewalk in line at the $1 movie theater in Silsby, Texas to see this movie where I knew, you know, I, at that time it came out, what, 95. So I would have been seven years old. And I, I was old enough to know that something was different about this animated movie. It looked different. I wasn't old enough to truly understand what it was and how Pixar was different and this this the new rush of, of computer animation that we were on the verge of. But it's just everything about that movie I still think is beat for beat so perfect. It, it features two of what I consider to be the all-time great vocal performances of all time with Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. Um, I mean, it's just everything about that film. And yes, like... I obviously I, I love two and three as well, um, but I think they 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 stand on the shoulders of one, and just everything about that movie. And and I hate using nostalgia as a reason for why a movie is my favorite, but for that movie in particular, I remember I remember going to to Burger King and and hoping that I got the, the you know the right toy, hoping you got the Buzz Lightyear toy, and and you know when to have a movie come out about toys at an age in which you're still obsessed with toys was such just really just a magical moment, and it really was probably my last truly great animated film experience before I crossed that threshold into the age where I began to appreciate film on a different level, where I still had that wide-eyed innocence of a child, to use a cliche. So that's why I go with the original Toy Story. Strong choice. Um, I'm going to give a controversial hot take. Toy Story 2 is better than Toy Story, and Toy Story 2 is the best sequel ever made. Disagree. I did it is the I'm best. Sorry, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, you're I, saying the absolute I, like of all the sequels that's in the history of I mankind. Think, I think it's the best sequel like, ever made. You think it's better than Godfather Terminator 2. Two, Empire Strikes Back, Dark yeah. Knight, Aliens, Wrath oh, of Khan, Dark Knight, definitely Aliens, 
Uh, Godfather Part Two. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What are you talking about? All right, it's ridiculous. I cannot tell if you're joking or not. I, okay, I wasn't kidding, joking. I might have overstepped. I might have overstepped. <laughs> it is an incredible you sequel. A little. It is an incredible sequel. It takes it's everything about the characters and improves on like it doesn't regurgitate. It it improves the world, right? Like it 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 takes the idea of them being. Wait, I'm toys. sorry. Is Toy Story two your pick? No, it's not. I'm just talking about how great I love Toy Story. Then, then how is it not even your pick? You it's can't say it's pick. the greatest sequel of all time and it not be your pick. Because it's not best, it's favorite. Well, we got, we have to give Sean a second to take this back. Because, uh, uh, Sean, there's fine, no way. Fine, I'll walk it back slightly. But it's an incredible sequel. It's an incredible <laughs> sequel. No, it's not my pick, and I don't get even a, get to go get next. On, get on back over here, brother. Bring it back. I'm sorry. Bring it I back. went way too fast. Kevin, it's your turn to go with telling us your favorite Pixar film of all time. Well, my favorite is also my best, and I, I don't think Pixar is even... I think I know what it is. I think I know what it is. What you, you what, what is it? You can say Hold it. Hold on. But you, you keep setting it up, and I'll text you, and you tell me if it's... I right. think that Pixar has not made a movie that has any come anywhere near close to this film. Um, I think it's a masterpiece. It doesn't even feel like an animated movie. It's almost as if we're watching... I, yeah, you're right, Jake. Um... This film doesn't, it's weird because it's obviously animated, but I feel like I'm watching real cinema when I watch it in the sense of like live action because that's how real these characters felt to me. Uh, and the movie, the movie's Wally, and it's just, I, I don't even know where to even start. Andrew Stanton, the work he did on that movie, um, think about opening a film with that with that little dialogue in the first 20 minutes. Was there no dialogue, right? In the first 20 minutes? I think, I think so. Um, and oh, longer than that. It's until they get to the axiom before anybody I mean, says anything. Think about that for one second. I mean, Pixar is a brand at this point. Kids are going to be in this theater. Uh, you're making a film that is clearly being geared towards children. Um, and you just, just tell the story you want to tell. And, and it is just one of the most beautiful love stories I've ever seen. The shot in space with the fire extinguisher is just, oh. I mean, what a moment. I mean, that's one of the most, one of my favorite scenes I've ever seen in a film. Um, and I just think that that film speaks so much to our society. Um, there's so much to be said without saying anything, really. Um, and the fact that that emotion is portrayed through very little dialogue, through an animated character, um, characters, uh, is just astounding to me. Um, I, I can't believe that film even exists. Uh, and I don't even understand how it got past Disney to come out like that. I mean, the sense of, I mean, this is a film that by all means, I, I, I didn't sit next to any kids when they watched it. I don't know how kids took it um, in the sense of not having dialogue. Uh, and, and I find it interesting that that film exists in the Pixar universe, uh, the Pixar films. Um, it is, it's truly a remarkable film. It's one of the best films I've ever seen. It's one of the best films I've seen that I, I I love beyond belief. My wife and I connect to that movie more than anything. We talk about Ava or Eva and uh, and Wally all the time. Eva. It's just what a beautiful, can, just a beautiful can movie. Can I make one knock to Wally? <laughs> yeah. Because I genuinely think that the first half of Wally is probably the best thing that Pixar has ever produced in the history of the company. Mm-hmm. It loses me once the humans show up. Oh, I think once the humans, the, once are... the humans show up, I, I love when it's this silent Charlie Chaplin esque movie. If it had been that for for ninety minutes, 
I would probably say that's my single favorite animated movie of all time. But once the humans show up, to me, it starts, it turns, it, it stops becoming a film and turns into a cartoon. Mm. It's interesting. And that's, that's where it loses me. Sean, your thoughts? I, see, I'd argue that everything on the axiom is the natural progression of what we saw in the first half of the movie, which is if everybody left, where did they go and what yeah. happened to them? And the fact that we let ourselves become such gelatinous slugs that we can't yeah. even get out of the carts that are moving us around and we get our every meal served to us in big gulp uh, cups and the the day turns the night and the night turns the day automatically and all of this stuff is done to us to the bit where like it sets up such a physical deal that when the ship is turning and everybody's rolling down the side and while he's got to get to the plant, like having the, the plant and the boot as, as the catalyst that still carries everybody forward is, is, is another genius thing that Stanton did. So Gabe said that we have a same pick and my pick is Wally also. Um, because it's incredible. It's incredible on every level. And so, yeah, I think all the stuff in the Axiom, yes, it's very different than what we witness um, on the planet when it's just sort of Wally moving around. Kevin, you keep saying that there's no dialogue, but that's the one place I'll disagree with you at. And that's this has been no, Bert, no, no. I'm who's at the, the sound beginning. designer. No, I'm no, no. But I even just mean the, the way that the robots make noise. Yeah, I think conveys more than a Tarantino screenplay, you know, like that's you the know point I'm everything making is that, that they're yeah. saying and it's yeah. just beeps and and boops and it's like it's it's impossible. It's impossible that that much emotion can be conveyed by his eyes, just the way his eyes move, oh. you know, and 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 move around and he, and he's angry and his tone changes and when you get to the axiom, Jake, what it does, when it opens up this world, you meet all these other robots who have all these other different personalities. And it's like 15, 20 new personalities and still nobody's talking. There's the one robot who cracks me up to no end, who's just mad that he has to clean up all the time. Right. He's just constantly scrubbing at the floor. And when he sees like the tracks that Wally leaves, he's always just like, and he's scrubbing more. And uh, and and there's the moment when Wally, uh, you know, dies, like powers down and dies, which leads to the fire extinguisher scene that Kevin talks about. Oh. I, it was like it's it's incredible, and I I had to pick it because it's it conveys so much. It's such a beautiful story. The ending is so fantastic, um, and the Wally Eva relationship to me is the best thing that that Pixar has done, more so than Buzz and Woody. Um, but but yeah. ones that just missed were Inside Out. Inside Out is incredible. Inside Out is a movie that, that like every five to ten years, Inside Out is going to get better <laughs> because yeah. we're going to mature, you know, and, and catch up to where that movie is. And then um, and and one I think I talked about is you know uh, is Finding Nemo, the first ne- the first Nemo movie, and how a, a movie stays the same but you change. I might have mentioned this, but like the first time I saw Nemo in the theater. Uh, I was like, yeah, that's cute. You know, it's it wasn't quite up to Pixar's standards. It, you know, the, the Toy Story movie was better. It's but Ellen DeGeneres is a forgetful fish. Like I don't. And then like from the time it was in theaters to the time it reached Blu-ray, uh, Michelle and I found out we were having a baby, and then like our first kid. And then I watched it a second time, and I was like, this is a whole not this is a totally different movie. <laughs> this is about what a father would do to to retrieve his his child if it's if he'd gone missing. It's, it was like. This, this is one of the most incredible movies I've ever seen. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. it's funny how your perspective completely shifts on something. And, uh, but I think it's, it's re- timeless. It's timeless. remarkable because, and, and again, that, that's kind of the point I was making about the no dialogue thing. It's the sounds that like, and the eyes, and like you said, it is, it's almost, I, I love what's not said 
And, and to me, that's what speaks volumes. I mean, dialogue mm-hmm. dialogue can be so expo- so much exposition sometimes. Uh, and it was so relieving to sit there and listen to sounds that spoke to what we knew they meant. And I, that was just truly insane to me. Um, it's almost like Groot on steroids, right? Like we know what Groot means when he says, I am Groot, but he's, you know, there's an emotional depth to every version of Groot he says. Uh, and every little beep in this movie and every little sound effect and every little eye twitch or movement, um, it is just, it just grabs you and just takes you on this journey. And it's just like, I don't know, it just floored me. I didn't expect it and it still blows my mind today. Did I ever tell you guys that Toy Story 2 is the greatest sequel ever yeah. made? <laughs> Gabe, yeah, can we scrub you should that? quit. Gabe, can we scrub that right. audio? I'm not going to quit. You quit. You quit this podcast, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's... That, that, listen, it's not far off. It's up there. <laughs> it's up there, but there are some other ones that, might, it, have, that might take it out. Uh, it Ziggy though? Popkin, who played hey, along Sean, home, uh, said, with- yes. With your with that comment, I'm just going to tell you to get off my lawn, O'Connell. All right, so that was just really uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Sean, you can stay. Uh, I quit. You can <laughs> stay. Fair enough. Uh, Ziggy Popkin says Coco. Uh, Cinema okay. Blend's right. own Mike Reyes. Oh, Mike Reyes met you guys at the Junket this weekend. It was so I love Mike Reyes. To meet you guys, yeah, dude. I had so a great excited. I had a great dinner with him. I had dinner with Did him. You? Oh, oh nice. that's Very cool. cool. I wasn't there. That's fine. I, that's cool. I wasn't. I wasn't there or anything. That's not like you had dinner with them. <laughs> not, not, no, we just like we had dinner with. Him. I had dinner. I, I also would like to say I was. I also had dinner with him. It was a great dinner. Too. Separately from Kevin. Kevin well, he wasn't said, there. He said the Incredibles. You guys maybe know this. Maybe you discussed this at dinner. I don't know. I, I, I gotta give Michael. Michael's cool because. Um, He's like relatively new to junkets, and he was like really like grateful. He said he was very felt really welcomed because uh, he listens to our show all the time. So he like knew everything about our show. He was so nice. Um, yeah, we had a great dinner with him uh, on one of the nights after seeing Favorite, and it was like me, Jake, our buddy Patrick. And oh, don't don't try to don't try to loop me in this now. <laughs> no, it was a great dinner. <laughs> the moment's past. It really well, was. And Kimberly Sue, who also weighs in often on our blend games, she says Toy Story, so she's in line with Jake. Very nice. Um, next week, uh, this is one that Gabe selected, and I believe he's picking this based on the fact that the Robin Hood movie is coming into theaters. We are going to play hashtag Fox Blend, where we're going to pick the fam- favorite Jamie Foxx movie. Oh. So start thinking about it. And you oh, can't say it. Collateral. I'm taking it out of the room. I'm taking it out of the running. No! No, I'm just kidding. You can say collateral if you want to. <laughs> By the way, I didn't know this until I, I interviewed him the other day. I didn't know that. He, did you know his real horse is in Django? I did not know that. No, I didn't know that. He got the role of Django because he brought a horse and told Tarantino he could ride a horse. And the horse in the movie is Jamie Foxx's real horse. I had no horse? idea. Yeah. I, As, and, and you could also argue he got the role of Django because Will Smith said no. That course, could also be the case. It can't yeah. can be that important because he offered it to Will Smith first. I would well, like I think, to see yeah. a trailer for the new Tarantino. Do you think we might see that anytime soon? No, it doesn't come out till August. And you guys know that Nell from Haunting of Hill House has a big role in that movie. Yeah. Which is going to be awesome. So. You can't talk in about my, that because Gabe hasn't seen it even though he's going to a Mike Flanagan Tarantino? set. She's in the new Tarantino? Yeah, mm. yeah she plays one of uh, Manson's girls. Lulu. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to Dr. Sleep, Kevin. We have a Dr. Sleep set as an invitation, and I'm sending Gabe. And, and nice. Gabe's been sleeping on Hill House. Yes. Right? 
So hey, refuses right. to watch it. Hey, it's terrible. Right. Hey, right. hey. Uh, this is episode 44 of Real Blend. Uh, we will be back at next week where we're going to discuss uh, some of the films that are coming over the Thanksgiving holiday. We'll continue to play Rising and Falling, and we will play hashtag Fox Blend. That is two X's. Make sure you get that in. You can listen to us uh, every week here on the Facebook Live. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can find us on social media at Real Blend. Uh, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Please go over to the uh, iTunes page, leave us a review. We promise we will read it at the top of each new episode. means a whole heck of a lot of us, helps us grow out the show. The more stars that we get, we might actually get close to that 100 that we want to hit by the beginning of January. And we will be back at it next week. Um, not sure what day yet, but once we know, we'll put it on the social media channel. So thank you very much for tuning in to this week's episode, as always, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Dunkirk! This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.